Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, uh, the host around these parts. Uh, Happy Thursday. We are so honored that you would take some time out to put us in your earbuds, as we say, uh, to listen in on today's conversation. Now, I got to be honest, um, I was a little nervous about today's conversation. So the two two gentlemen who have served the church uh, have done just incredible work uh, that I'm honored and privileged to have on the show today. We're over 200 episodes, and I think this is probably going to go down as one of my favorite ones. So we've got Warren Bird and Carl George uh, on the on the line today. Warren Bird's been on a few times. I think this is your third time. Is this your, are you a three-peat, Warren? Which is, I think you're maybe one of two people that's been on three times. Warren is uh, works for Leadership Network, uh, has the best title in the world, um, and I just love him dearly. He's one of those guys that when, when he called me up and said, hey, I'd love to chat, the answer is always yes. And then Carl George, uh, who you may know uh, as author, uh, was a professor for years at, uh, at Fuller, is a, a wonderful guy. So why don't we start, we're going to start with just you guys introducing yourselves a little bit. Warren, why don't we start with you? Uh, I love Jesus and I love seeing his church grow. And years ago, I got connected up with Carl George and he was teaching the how to break the 200 barrier, how to break the 400 barrier, how to break the 800 barrier. And he was exhausted and the groups were full. And I said, Carl, why can't we turn this into a book so that you can go home once in a while and that people could benefit from it? And so we took the best of all those uh, workshops and uh, turned it into a book that has just done so well over the years that the publisher came and said, hey, it's still percolating. Uh, Update it, re-release it, uh, um, and here we are. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Carl, why don't don't you give us a sense of your story? Well... I, I put out my first book with Bob Logan, but our publisher said we really needed help, and they found Warren for us, <laughs> and that has turned into a lifelong collaboration. Nice. I am thrilled to work with Warren. He's he's so he has the kind of a mind that is awesome. Hmm. Uh, he'll listen to recordings from four or five different seminars, and rec- remember them distinctly so well hmm. that he can say in the second recording that's the best way to say that. In the fourth recording, that's the best way to say that. <laughs> And he pulls that stuff together in such an amazing way so that when it comes back to me, all I have to do is tweak a few pronouns and and uh, look for gaps. But uh, he's he's been a wonderful collaborator and he's got, I guess, 26 books to, under his belt now. Is that the number? But, uh, well, it's 29, but who's counting? But, but <laughs> Carl, he asked he ask about you and you have an incredible yes. background. Yes. Well, we, we had... Uh, we, we started out as church planters, my wife and I did, uh, mm-hmm. a, after youth, youth work in, uh, in one of the earliest megachurches mm-hmm. uh, in, in Miami, Florida. And then the Lord called us very clearly uh, to Gainesville, Florida, to start a church there. And we were there for 13 years until we got the call to, to Fuller. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in the process of that time, we experienced those barriers, the two and four and eight. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was quite a challenge. Uh, but we worked out the pieces of it. And then when I met Peter Wagner and the crew out at Fuller, uh, all the pieces came together and the language necessary to explain it to others came together. Mm-hmm. And uh, six or seven years in, we were ready to do our first book and, and Warren showed up on the scene about that time. Mm-hmm. So we've had a marvelous time, 100 denominations uh, all over North America and internationally as well. And uh, we've been greatly blessed by uh, the pastors have 
given us their questions. Mm -hmm. That's the greatest gift a consultant can ever have mm -hmm. is the questions that come from people who are in the middle of the fight. Mm -hmm. And then we go out and research it and figure out what it is that they need and are missing and go from there. You, mm -hmm. you have this unseminary idea, mm -hmm. which I'm rather pleased with. And <laughs> the only contention I have with that idea is that when we ask as seminarians, we ask uh, our, our people who are coming to our conferences, uh, would you like to have studied this in seminary? They first of all say, oh, absolutely. They should have taught us this in seminary. <laughs> and then they stop and they think about it a little bit and they say, but in seminary, no, no, I wasn't ready. I'm thinking about Until it. Until I'd been out beaten up a little bit, I didn't. Now, yes, this is what I would like to have been taught in seminary, but there's no chance that if I had been taught it or exposed to it, it would have saved me. Uh, I still needed the, the, the hard knocks and the experience is necessary to make me ready for learning. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I love your unseminary idea, mm -hmm. uh, but you're, when you catch people out of seminary, you are getting them at a learnable or teachable moment. No, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. That's a huge compliment. I just this weekend was um, I'm helping um, on the overseers of a, a church plant. And uh, so I was down there trying to, you know, it was one of these encouragement trips. I basically I was there to try to it's going to be OK. You know, one of those kind of trips. And uh, I, I, I was reflecting on your work, you know, with this book from, you know, years ago. And the, this church basically have settled out just above 200. And again, I found myself using the, the 200, 400, 800 barrier uh, language, which uh, which I was smiling inside, knowing that this conversation was coming up this week. It's been, you know, that's seminal understanding. Um, and and I'm excited for this new, uh, you know, this new book. Well, why don't we, you know, Warren, why don't we jump in? You know, some churches grow uh, rapidly up to a point, you know, and they kind of, they, they hit a barrier. The, the whole point of this book is how to break barriers. Why is that? Why why are these, these kind of barriers kind of built into the church growth process? Well, Rich, yes, there are barriers. And the second half of the book does talk about, okay, the 200, 400, and they all have different uh, issues associated. But the biggest barrier, which the whole first half of the book deals with what is between the church leaders two ears? What mm. voices are they hearing? What vision do they have? What caps do they have on their vision? What biases? How strong is their bias towards growth? How much do they perceive their role? And, and that's the subtitle of the book now, Revise Your Role release your people and capture overlooked opportunities for your church. The what's, what's in their mind, are they the minister or the minister maker? Are they the caregiver, the primary caregiver or the maker of other caregivers? Are they the doer or are they the developer of mm, others? So and, and Carl, you jump in, please. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a reality here about leadership that has to do with vision, of course. But there's also a passion part of that vision. And uh, when I was studying the Korean churches, mm -hmm. uh, I was very impressed by one of the habits of the young Korean pastors. They would typically spend Saturday night in fasting and prayer at mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. They would get on their knees in their study and they would plead with God for the next day. Well, I picked up a tip or two from that kind of passion and found myself kneeling at a chair and crying out to God and asking him for help and, and for clarity. And, and what I discovered was that if your pursuit of God is strong enough, there's an awful lot you can miss in terms of academic preparation to come up with what you need for the next morning. Mm. But there's a point in time where no matter how 
passionate your, your search for God is, and no matter how much effort you put into it, you find yourself spinning your wheels. Mm. And you begin to say, what's going on here? I'm giving this everything I've got. <laughs> uh, God knows I'm sincere. I'm running a short list of accounts with God. I've got everything unconfessed or confessed that I need mm. and, and can imagine. And, and after I give it everything I've got, at the end of the day, I'm still not getting where I need to go. Mm. And, and that's where moving into the barrier discussion becomes really fruitful. Mm. Until a guy has hit that barrier a time or two and realizes, I'm slipping. I'm I'm not going forward. Reminds me of these these rock rock climber uh, four wheel drive vehicles. I see they they advance up a bank to a certain point and then they just before they get over the top they they stall mm. because they begin to slip backwards. And we've seen that over and over again in churches. And and uh, wh- what the seminar series picked up on was the kinds of things you struggle with at 200 are not exactly the same things at at, at four and 800. Hmm. The uh, at, at 200 you're dealing with being willing to share the caring ministry with your team. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the Jethro jump mm. and uh, get, getting realizing you cannot be adequate to all people ad- uh, enough to take you to the next level. Then you have to figure out what, what do I do if I call people alongside to help me on my staff, for example, how, how do I do that? There, there are problems there and there, there are secrets there as well. And when you get up a little later, you're dealing with having to cope with your lay leaders who want to be a part of the action and want to dilute the vision and, and, and take it off, off point because they have agendas of their own as well. And so we, we, we and these barriers, we step people through. Uh, what are the leadership things that you need to learn how and master in order to get to that next level? Because you, you've got to, on the one point, lead, on the other point, collaborate. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough, it's because you're always compromising. When you collaborate, you're always compromising. And, and the why gets lost. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go back and say, well, hold on, what, what is the core of this barrier? And to what extent am I creating the problem that I'm trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And, and the book was written so that both the leader and the board and the key players, both lay and staff, can all read it together. In fact, I just recently had a church, the pastors, the board, they read it. They were stuck at a particular level. And, and I said, all right, let's use this book as a diagnostic. You know, where from reading it, where do you see that you're stuck and Mm. and what do you need to do? Yeah, I wonder if you could give us some examples there, Warren, of that. You know, there, that seems to be a critical shift, this shift from kind of shepherd, primary caregiver to, you know, developer, coach of caregivers. What are some of the things practically that, that pastors should do um, or maybe are doing to, to make that transition, which is a, a huge change for most leaders? The simplest thing is the apprentice model. You could almost look at what Jesus did with the twelve as an apprenticeship program and that Mark 3, which says that Jesus appointed 12 to be with him mm. and he gave them authority to do different things. Um, just that first step of in everything I'm doing, am I, do I have a shadow? Am mm. I showing, do I ever do a hospital visit alone? Mm. Uh, if, if I do, foul, you know, I mm. should be training someone while I'm doing it. And then, not just now that I'm modeling it, but what about my key leaders, both paid and volunteered, 
do they get the idea of apprenticing themselves? Second Timothy two two train others who train others who train others who train others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Was there anything in the shift in this particular concept over you know the 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 decades between when these two editions of this book were written that shifted or changed that you know this idea of empowering others? Obviously, it, it's the the idea of apprenticeship is as old as time. Um, was there anything around how that's working out in churches that looks a little different today? Carl, why don't you tell about how apprenticeship through the bus ministries, which was in the oh, first yeah. ministry, yep, yep, yep. which that was a big deal at the time. It was very significant, but it was an apprenticeship model. You know, here's a manageable span of care. Mm -hmm. And today there are equivalents. Yes, there are. The, the, um, the, the, the challenge with any discussion of apprenticeship mm -hmm. is that we, we tend to want to go to a model where we label everything and, and, and tie it down and say, this is what an apprentice looks like, and we mm. put a little formula together. What I, what I discovered is that there is a pre-apprenticeship appreciation and awareness that's critical to moving into the apprenticeship model. And it, it has to do with recognizing what God is doing in the people around you. Mm. Uh, a, a woman comes to me from, from, the, from my church, and she says to me, she says, uh, I was down at the hospital, and I was, uh, I was talking to one of the patients, and she was so fearful. And I thought, you know, I really should try to comfort her in some way. And she says, I thought about what I could do. And I opened the Bible and I read the 23rd Psalm to her. Hmm. And then she looked at me and she said, did I do the right thing? Mm. <laughs> and I said, absolutely, you did the right thing. <laughs> and she came back to me on another occasion. And she had done very, something very similar. She says, well, you said it was okay. But then I, I, I offered to pray for her. Mm -hmm. And, and is, was that okay? Absolutely, that's okay. And then I began to realize, wait a minute, a typical lay person not being ordained, mm -hmm. not being recognized as a spiritual leader, per se, not getting the apprentice model that would be a, t a moniker or a title that would be mm -hmm. helpful, uh, they're out there kind of on their own wondering, is it okay? But what they're doing is under the impulse of the Holy Spirit, but they don't know that. Mm -hmm. But here, here are caregivers with a pastoral gift in your milieu coming to you for affirmation. And if you're not really careful, instead of giving them the affirmation, you'll say, oh my goodness, I need to go down to the hospital and do that prayer with that woman. Or I need to go down to the hospital and read that psalm to that person. Instead, say, bless you, you are so on target. Mm -hmm. My goodness. And then I was, in a, I was in a mental health meeting and I was watching a psychiatrist deal with a, a, a woman and and she was volunteering to help him in his practice. And I, I watched him carefully as, as he listened to her. And he said, uh, so what's motivating you to do this is a desire for community service. He said this. Mm -hmm. and, and when he said that phrase, what's motivating you to do that? It was a discernment question for him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can use that. I need to start asking when people come to me, What's motivating you to do that? If they're under, I may, if I'm insecure, I'll say, oh, they're trying to criticize my performance. But, but if I'm alert, I will look at them and say, there's something motivating this person to do this. There's a caring impulse in them that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's an evidence of a spiritual giftedness. My job is to give breath to that, mm. to, to blow on that coal, to, to make it glow, mm -hmm. and, and to say to them, yes, this is so right. H have you considered that, that your impulse to do that and your desire to do that 
could be a gift from God, and mm. that makes you a gift to the church. Mm. Because once I started using that language, people started blossoming, mm. and they were then they were willing to accept. Uh, young pastors got to be saying, "Oh, I can't get anybody to take a leadership position because they don't want the responsibilities of leadership." Whenever I hear that, what I know is I've got an immature leader on my hands. Mm. Because if the people in his church are not willing to take a leadership responsibility, that's not entirely cultural. Mm. Part of that is conditioned. Mm-hmm. He is not affirming those people when he sees micro evidence of, of gifts. He wants macro evidence of gifts. Well, if you don't if you don't fan the spark of the micro evidence, you're not going to see the macro come into, into play. Mm-hmm. And once people begin to get the idea, you mean God could be working through me? Mm-hmm. I could be helping? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. And then you then you brag on that in mm-hmm. front of the rest of the congregation because and we have a section on the in the book on the casting of vision for this kind of thing, what you brag on, you see more of. What mm. you applaud, you get more of. And people go, oh, well, if that's what uh, maturity looks like, then I can step up for that too, because I have those impulses as well. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of empowering the congregation is so essential uh, to any kind of growth bearers, and uh, that's a big section of the book, How to Break Growth Barriers. This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Uh, the changes between the first edition of the book and the second include the recognition of the existence of the internet mm-hmm. and, and the social media and the communication devices we now have available to us. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge difference in the speed with which we can make connections and, and stay in touch with each other, and this call is, is an evidence of that. Absolutely. So, well, this, this is part of it. That church planner I was telling you about earlier, um, you know, his Facebook strategy is core to how he's reaching his people. Like it's it's not like a even for someone that comes from like a large, you know, mega church or whatever in communications, I would say Facebook is more important to him than even that, you know, that scenario there. He's really using that, maximizing that to draw his community together, to reach people to, you know, which is a new dynamic for sure. It is, and and the second major difference mm-hmm. between then and now is the degree to which most statements about how widespread any effect is are now quantified. You heard Warren mm-hmm. say 87%. Back in the day, we would have said, oh, something like over 80%, and right. we would have been thumbnailing it or we'd been approximating it, and now we can actually quote Ed Stetzer or somebody and say, hey, we, we've, we've surveyed 300 churches, and now we have to in order to criticize a, a, a piece of data, we have to examine the group that was surveyed and the technique that was used. And, mm-hmm. and there was, we're using a lot more sophisticated tools. It doesn't mean we get better knowledge necessarily mm-hmm. because experienced people in the field pick up on where the trends and so forth are, but at least we have the ability to make uh, uh, statements that are defensible and can be revised by some methodology than opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, another huge uh, difference in the two styles. Very cool. Well, we're going to uh, we're going to keep moving along. I thought before we move into the lightning round with Carl um, Warren, I wonder if you can give us uh, you know people who listen into on seminary. You know, I, I literally could do every week someone selling a book. Uh, you know, people all the time are like, "Hey, can you come on here?" And I just don't do it a lot. I, it, I because I, I want to trust the authors. I want to have some sort of relationship with. And, and Warren, like I say, th- this book from you know the early '90s. I actually was trying to find my copy of it this morning. I think I've actually given it away to someone else. 
Um, so I'm excited that you've updated it. Why don't you give us a thumbnail around, um, you know, why the re, you know, why the re-up and why people who have the, the checkmark version from, uh, you know, 20 years ago, why they should, you know, pick up this copy and then where they can get it. We updated the illustrations of different churches, you know, yep. the heroes of the time, the Chuck Swindolls and others. Uh, we replaced with more modern illustrations. Mm -hmm. We changed early in early edition. We had used the Jethro model to say, OK, you need to do more than be a, a shepherd of your church. You need to be. And we use Lyle Schaller's term of a rancher mm. who over and, and people didn't like that. They said, you know, I still want to be the shepherd. And they were right. So we changed that to kind of the player coach versus the uh, pastor in that you're still in the game mm -hmm. and yet you have a coaching role for others in the game. As mm -hmm. Carl alluded to earlier, we dealt with social media. We dealt with multi-site being a much more of a, of a viable factor. But, you know, the core issue of <clears throat> do you really believe that there are unchurched people who mm. need Jesus around you that your church could reach without saying, yeah, but we need more money. Yeah, but we need mm. more staff. Yeah, but, and you know what, by the way, if you, if you don't change your model, you just get another staff and they become the hired hand who gets mm. exhausted right. if they really aren't the maker of other ministers. Mm. So, so the book is, is, is fresh for today the same core ideas and just as workable for discussing as a leadership team or as a board to say, okay, how do we go to the next level as a church? And this mm -hmm. will give it I got it. Very cool. Yeah, I know if people want to pick it up, you can get it at Amazon um, or if there are still bookstores available somewhere, you can pick it up in those places. I'm not sure where those are, uh, but you can get it on, on Amazon. We'll put a link in the show notes as well uh, so that you can find it. Listen, people, I really do think you should pick up a copy of this book. It, um, it it's, it's foundational reading, even if you read the checkmark version from years ago or that, you know, because there's like this. That's what I remember on the front. Maybe it was I guess it was a growth arrow going up. Um, you know, you really should pick that up. Well, we're going to jump into the lightning round that part of the episode where uh, we ask everybody who's on the show to answer questions. And Carl has graciously uh, agreed to go along, which I got to be honest, I feel a little bit silly asking you these questions, sir, but I'm going to ask them to you anyway. So Carl, what's an online resource that you're using these days uh, that's helping you out uh, in your ministry? Uh, Google. Yes. Oh, totally. <laughs> I, I'm there 10 times, 20 times a day. So it's a, it's a continual. Yeah, it's no a getting away from it. All, all of the electronic media communications, messenger, mm -hmm. uh, email, all that stuff. I, I try to stay away from Facebook only because it's a, it's a sucking hole. <laughs> and uh, it, it's hard to limit it to two hours once you get going. Nice. But uh, I, I, my, my latest ventures are in the area of, of blogging. I've started blogging nice. so that uh, I will be able to uh, uh, carry some of the insights forward. Great. And that blog is at consultingforgrowth.org? Uh, consultingforgrowth.org, that's right. Yeah, perfect. Thank we'll put you. a link to that in the notes, too, uh, so people can uh, pick up about that. What, Carl, what's a book you've read in the last six months or maybe two years that's, that's had an impact on your thinking or ministry? Uh, Jim uh, Hanley mm -hmm. from Orange, California. Jim Hanley wrote a book called Healing the Shattered Soul. As I have worked with uh, failed missions and with failing missions, I have begun to find soul wounds in people, mm. in leaders, mm. and people who supervise 
church planters see this frequently, but they don't know what to make of it. Mm. They think of it as fickleness, they think of it as failing to follow through, uh, mercurial behaviors, etc. But what we're actually dealing with there is a wounded soul mm. and the demonism that comes along with it, the attack mm. of the evil that comes along with it. And uh, Henley has put together the single best resource on that that I've ever seen. Hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm heavily into that b because uh, my own background includes a, a deliverance ministry. Mm -hmm. We used to call it exorcism, but it's deliverance ministry. Mm -hmm. but, but what we didn't find was why deliverance ministry is only partly effective. Mm. And and the reason for that is because of the wounded soul in people. So that's a, that's a sometime have me on and we'll talk about the wounded soul. But sure. because that's a very significant area for making progress and for finding spiritual strength and healing. Very cool. Um, what's another ministry that you're looking to to inspire you? Are you speaking of organizations? Yeah, it could be organization, could be another church, could be well, yeah, anything. I'll, uh, the, the, probably the most significant single person I've met in the last few months mm -hmm. is Todd Wilson, mm. who's the executive over at Exponential. Yep. Uh, Exponential church planting group people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That that guy is unbelievable in terms <laughs> of both de dedication and ability, right. and has put together the finest program for encouraging church planters that I've ever seen. Uh, I've agreed to join with him for the uh, East, uh, mm -hmm. Exponential East in 217 down mm -hmm. in Orlando, mm -hmm. where I'll spend uh, two or three workshops down there for him. Mm -hmm. yeah, just because I want to uh, bless him and, and be a part of what I think is, is a very significant and very good work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Exponential, if you haven't had a chance to be a part of it, is, uh, it's really, and it's an incredible movement, really, of, of multiplication, church multiplication, which is amazing. Yes. If you could get 50... And the interesting thing about Exponential is mm -hmm. that if they are successful, our book is even more important right? because if you start a church and you start growing with it, all of a sudden you no longer have a church plant. Now you have a church that's maturing and scaling upward. Absolutely. If you could get 15 minutes with any leader alive, who would you want to get that with and why? Bono. Oh, nice. From you too. Yeah, Bono. I, I'm very impressed with him because he comes to it from an artistic point of view, but he hasn't lost his core faith. And, he's, and he has a heart big enough to reach out toward people that are hurting. Nice. And uh, I'm very impressed with that. Cool. Well, what, would, what does Carl George do for fun when he just kicks back and he's not thinking about growth barriers and he's not thinking about, you know, all this stuff? Where does he, you know, just relax and have some fun? What do you do for fun, Carl? Well, besides playing with my grandchildren, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's uh, playing with my wife's Australian Labradoodles. Oh, nice. That's She's cool. She's a breeder of Australian Labradoodles. And wow. And I, I deal with those animals every single day. They're just absolutely <laughs> delightful. Nice. Well, guys, I really appreciate you being on uh, the show today. Like I say, we'll put a, a link in the show notes. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that or learn more? We, we talked about, Carl, your, your blog. Is there any other way they should be in touch? Or is that the best thing they could do? That's a, for, my, for me, consultingforgrowth.org is the best. Perfect. And then Warren, um, with your work with Leadership Network, is that the best place for them to, if they want to follow you a little closer? Right. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Warren Bird, uh, just as it's spelled one word, and uh, research at leadnet.org. And if you want to track with the weekly newsletter we put out, it's leadnet.org slash update, and it's called Leadership Network Advance. Nice. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you being on the show today. Rich, God bless you. You have an awesome podcast. I listen to it and recommend it all the time. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.